0: You are listening to Reach MD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Fortunately for all of us, there's a great deal of research being done on one of the world's most lethal infectious diseases, malaria. In this segment, we will discuss promising new research on both prevention and treatment of this modern day scourge. Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Christopher Plough, an internationally recognized expert on malaria. He is Professor-in-Chief, Malaria Section, of the Center for Vaccine Development for the University of Maryland School of Medicine. He is also a Doris Duke Distinguished Clinical Scientist of the Medical School. Dr. Plough has received NIH grants for the study of malarial resistance and vaccine development. Welcome, Dr. Plough. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Tell us first about your experience working in Mali. I know that you uh, do malaria research and actually spend a lot of the time on the ground in sub-Saharan Africa. Tell us what the working conditions are like and what you do while you're overseas.
1: Well, in Mali, we're based in a rural town about eight hours' drive out of the capital city. So we stay in the local housing and eat the locally available food, uh, which you know when depending on what's been harvested recently, your, your repertoire can be fairly limited and uh, And what, what we're doing there is we're doing clinical trials right now of malaria vaccines, and we interact with the community we, we meet with the local uh, leaders and, and have community meetings and, and inform the the people of what we're interested in doing and then once we've got permission to do so we start clinical trials where we enroll initially adults and subsequently children, randomize them to get either an experimental malaria vaccine or a control vaccine, and then follow them very closely and and make sure the vaccine is safe and well-tolerated and Uh, starting in a couple of weeks. uh, We'll be doing our first trial to see if the vaccine actually works.
0: Who does oversight of this? Is it the Mali government, the United States government, the World Health Organization?
1: Our trials are sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, as well as the U.S. Department of Defense, because it's actually the U.S. Army that made the vaccine. And we're also overseen by the Ministry of Health in Mali. But the key oversight actually is, is from the institutional review boards, the ethical committees that review the study protocols before we go forward. So the primary one being the one at the University of Bamako in Mali, and as well, they're reviewed by our IRB, as it's called at the University of Maryland, as well as one in, in the uh, U.S. Army.
0: So there's three different institutional review boards that give oversight? Yes. How much of the time of the year do you have to spend in Mali doing this research?
1: Well, I actually spend, uh, I spend about equal time in Mali and Malawi on the other side of Africa where we're doing drug trials. And I spend about 40% of my time in Africa altogether and the other 60% back here in Baltimore.
0: Do you uh, have problems with tolerating the food, which I imagine changes between here and there quite often?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I, I look forward to getting back home and eating my, my wife's home cooking, I'll put it that way, and uh, and also to having a safe water supply. I've long since lost track of the number of times that I've been infected with various pathogens that caused uh, traveler's diarrhea.
0: What precautions are African countries taking currently to reduce the infection rate, given that a vaccine is not uh, yet available?
1: The best tools that we have in our armamentarium right now include diagnosing and treating malaria quickly and, more importantly, with, with effective drugs. For many years, many countries have been using drugs that stopped working a long time ago in the face of resistance. Uh, Another critical line of defense is preventing getting bitten by an infected mosquito. And to that end, bed nets are very helpful because most of the mosquitoes are biting at night when you're sleeping. And it's been shown now that if you rinse your bed net with an insecticide, that works for a long time and and actually has an overall reduction in, in childhood mortality. And it works even if you you tear the net because just the exposure to the insecticide uh, kills enough mosquitoes that you reduce your risk. So treatment, uh, bed nets, and another intervention that's coming online now is what we call intermittent preventive therapy. It's not treating someone who's sick, and it's not taking the kind of ongoing chemoprophylaxis that you or I would take if we were traveling in in a malaria-endemic country. What it is is just administering a curative treatment of an antimalarial drug at intervals in routine health visits for pregnant women and, and infants when they come to get their immunizations or prenatal visits.
0: Wouldn't that promote resistance?
1: In theory, it would, but the way I think about it is that the use of a drug in a limited target population like that is really a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of overall selection pressure for resistance that you get from drugs that are used for routine treatment. So it, it's, it's sort of all relative, but these are life-saving interventions, and you, you hate to uh, withhold something that is proven to be life-saving. The fourth tool in the armamentarium is something that hasn't been done much in, in Africa but was responsible for eradicating malaria in, in places like southern Europe and, and parts of Asia. And that's a residual indoor spraying. You spray an insecticide like DDT on the indoor surfaces, uh, and uh, that's good for six months at at killing mosquitoes and and greatly reduces the risk of malaria.
0: DDT still has uh, a bad name uh, among environmental groups in this country. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Christopher Plough, an internationally recognized expert on malaria and professor of medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Today we are discussing prevention of malaria and the public health issues it poses in endemic countries. What about uh, DDT? Is it, uh, is it available and inexpensive in African countries?
1: Well, it is inexpensive, and it was, it was widely used in a global campaign to eradicate malaria in the 1950s and 60s. But uh, it really was effectively banned, even if it wasn't actually banned, in the 60s and, and 70s after uh, a book came out talking about the devastating environmental impact of, of DDT.
0: I think you're talking about Silent Spring by Rachel Carson?
1: Yeah, I am. And, and the, the thing is that, that DDT did have an impact on the environment, but that was not from spraying the insides of people's homes for malaria. That was because DDT got diverted to the agricultural sector and was sprayed widely throughout the environment where it was never meant to be sprayed. That was where the problems came from, but it's actually when used in a very targeted fashion for controlling malaria, very safe and very effective, and I've heard it argued that that book was responsible for more deaths than any other book that you can think of, really.
0: That would not surprise me. How does DDT work in terms of controlling uh, malaria?
1: Well, you, you spray it on the, on the inside of the house, so... You put all the furniture in the middle of the, of the room and spray the walls and the ceilings. And then what happens is when the mosquito comes in and bites you at night, uh, it stops to take a blood meal and lands on the wall and is exposed to the insecticide and drops down dead before it can transmit the, uh, the malaria parasites to another person. So once that's happened a couple of times, uh, the mosquitoes uh, are no longer transmitting malaria.
0: It blocks their respirations? It just kills them uh, like other insecticides kill larger creatures?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: And it's not uh, dangerous for pregnant women or young children?
1: It's been very well studied, and uh, the, the long and the short of it is uh, there's just there's very little evidence after decades of study of any direct human health consequences when it's used as it's meant to be used to control malaria. You, I wouldn't want to inhale it when I'm, you know, if you're an agricultural worker, walking through a cloud of it, but uh, but springing on the inside of a, of a house is uh, is quite safe.
0: I see. Are there any other types of abatement besides DDT and mosquito nuts? What about draining standing bodies of water, as as we're told in Illinois to do? Uh, to reduce the risk of West Nile virus?
1: That's where knowing the ecology and, and the habits of the mosquito comes in because different mosquitoes breed in different types of water. And so, uh, in the American South and, and in Italy and places like that, there, there were opportunities to drain swamps and that sort of thing and really reduce mosquito transmission. The mosquitoes, or sorry, malaria transmission by mosquitoes. The mosquitoes that transmit malaria in Africa are of the Anopheles gambi type, and they tend to be able to breed in just all sorts of places. And so they may breed in a a hoof print from a cow that's filled up with water, Um, and it it tends not to be easily identifiable spots that you can simply get rid of it.
0: How big is a problem? uh, How big a problem is malarial resistance?
1: Uh, Do you mean uh, uh, parasites being resistant to drugs?
0: Yeah, drug resistance.
1: Yeah, Sure. It's a devastating problem. Uh, it it cropped up resistance to chloroquine, which was the old standard treatment for malaria throughout the whole 20th century, cropped up in Southeast Asia and South America and then gradually spread reaching Africa in the late 1970s. And you can look at hospital admissions, you can look at overall childhood deaths and see just devastating impact of this throughout Africa. And at this point, it's spread throughout almost the whole malaria pandemic world, as well as resistance then to the second line uh, drugs. And so the approach being taken now is to combine multiple drugs that work through different mechanisms to combat resistance the same way that we've done for a long time now with TB and also more recently, recently with HIV combination therapy.
0: How effective is this combination therapy in controlling resistant malaria?
1: It's effective for the moment. <laughs> if I get up my soapbox I I say that we can't afford to be complacent, and because we haven't seen resistance to some of the newer drugs that are used in these combination therapies yet, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect to see it and be ready to try to contain it when it crops up. But at the moment, the newer combination therapies are highly effective.
0: What about the prophylaxis recommended for U.S. travelers in terms of prevention if The travelers take their drugs as directed? Are they very protected or somewhat protected?
1: If they take the right drug for where they're going, the protective efficacy is very high. So, for the limited parts of the world where chloroquine still works, chloroquine is a great drug, very efficacious and and very effective at preventing infection. The drugs we use in the rest of the world, doxycycline, malarone, and larium or mefloquine, uh, are also good. There are some sporadic cases of resistance that are reported, but by and large, those are are highly efficacious drugs for the moment.
0: How long after the traveler returns does the uh, traveler have to take the drug?
1: It depends on the drug. For uh, lariam or mefloquine and uh, chloroquine, you need to take it for a month after you get back, the reason being that it doesn't kill the liver stages of the parasite, where the parasite percolates for a bit before it comes out into your blood. So suppose you got infected by uh, a mosquito just before you left the country, it doesn't emerge into your blood until a couple of weeks later after you're back home, and so that's when you need the drug on board. However, malarone and, I'm sorry, doxycycline was also in that first category. Malarone, because it does get those liver stages, you only have to take it for a week after you get back.
0: But you do have to take it. So my understanding is if you know if you figure you're uh, protected because you're no longer in country and you just stop taking the medication, you might be in for a big surprise a week or two later.
1: I've consulted on a a case where somebody did just that. They stopped taking their drugs as soon as they uh, got on the plane to come home and got severely ill with malaria.
0: So the take-home message is take all your medicine.
1: Take them as directed.
0: That's right. I want to thank Dr. Christopher Plough, an internationally recognized expert on malaria and professor of medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Today we discuss prevention of malaria and the public health issues it poses in endemic countries. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.